Good evening. We've taken a little bit of a break from uh, the roundtable format discussion. Uh, We have looked forward to bringing this back uh, in our new Sunday night rotation uh, with each each week having a different type of of way for us to gather together in our Sunday night assemblies. Uh, But I know that many of you love the roundtable and uh, have the opportunity to, to watch uh, ministers and watch members in, out in the congregation have a, a spiritual discussion with one another. Um, and it's always an opportunity to hear different uh, perspectives and different approaches or, or, or takes or looking through different lenses through, at the scriptures. Um, and so we look forward to continuing that uh, predominantly on the third Sunday night of each month. And what we're going to be doing is listening to Kyle cough each third Sunday night. Aren't they supposed to have us muted if we're not talking? No, 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 they're not, Kyle. It's never been the way it was. So um, what we're going to be doing uh, this year is we're going to be looking at, uh, on, on the first Sunday night of each month, we're going to have an in-depth study where uh, Kyle or one of us is going to really dig into the scriptures uh, to, to, to really uh, try to grasp uh, that certain topic. And what we did a couple weeks ago was uh, Kyle had a lesson on Christ-likeness in the home based in Philippians chapter 2. Tonight what we're going to try to do is try to look back and remember what Kyle preached about and perhaps have an opportunity to practically apply uh, that message into our lives. And that's what we're going to look to do each and every uh, month is our roundtable is, is going to try to have uh, a way for you to truly apply these things into your life. If you want a handout tonight, uh, we're now providing handouts on Sunday night for you to follow along with our questions and to take notes. If you want a handout, please raise your hand and a few of them will be uh, passing that out. Uh, But if you don't want one, you can follow along with us, and we're going to go ahead and uh, as as, as we get started tonight, we're going to read the passage uh, that Kyle predominantly uh, preached from, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 3 through 8. 3 through 8. Now going forward... We'll be putting those handouts in the back like Kyle has on Sunday morning. But we knew you weren't trained for that yet. we got to train you guys to do that. So we'll be leaving those out in, in the next months coming back there. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better Than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And going back to Kyle's lesson uh, a couple weeks ago, Kyle, you talked about the importance of of having selflessness Mm -hmm. in the home. And I thought that was a very good way to to, to think about our homes. Uh, In order to have a Christ-like home, we can't have selfishness in our homes. And, and that's what we see from this passage. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, selfishness has no place in our life. I don't know about you, though. Uh, for me, selflessness really doesn't come natural to me. Um, selflessness is, in fact, very unnatural, I think, for all of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves tonight. So, with that being said, what are some practical ways that we can implement this selflessness that you talked about? What are some practical ways that we can implement selflessness in our homes? 
One that I thought of has to do with our speech. Because for me, one of the areas where my selfishness manifests itself the most is through complaining. Do we have any complainers in here? Anybody willing to admit that they're a complainer? Because I'm really good at it. And the verse that hits me is in the same chapter we just read from. And it's Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, where we're told to do all things without complaining. There is probably not a command in Scripture that I break more often than Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. So my complaining typically manifests my selfishness because my complaining is about things that the, the way I want them to be or the way I think they should be. And just because they're not happening the way I want them to doesn't mean they're wrong or that they're inappropriate or that they're not intelligent and wise. It's just a, a, my selfishness coming out in the form of my complaint. So um, one of the spiritual disciplines that, and this is a kind of a pitch for my class starting on Wednesday nights next month uh, on how to exercise your faith. If you want to learn about spiritual disciplines, come to my class. But one of the spiritual disciplines that I've taught before is the discipline of tongue control. And the idea is there are several things we're commanded not to do with our tongues in Scripture, not to do with our words in Scripture, and one of those is complaining. So we need to develop the discipline of controlling that. And the simplest way of, of working on that is anytime you complain, acknowledge it, verbally say stop, and then you have to do five statements that are the reverse of the complaint. So if you complain, you have to come up with five positive statements to follow it. You have to counteract your complaint with five positive statements so that you're training yourself to do the opposite of what you're not supposed to do. And if you think about how many times you complain during the day, that's a, that's a lot. That's, a, that's, that's a, a lot of times that you have to tell yourself to stop, remind yourself of Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, and I hope I've been saying the right verse this whole time, and uh, and and come up with five positive statements about what you're complaining over. So I, I think one way you can counteract selfishness in the home and uplift selflessness is by learning to control the tongue, learning to control your complaining in particular. Yeah, I, I love that because you're, you're so right. We are in a place where a lot of the selfishness that we can display uh, in, in every day with our family is, is going to be something that we speak from our mouths. Um, but, man, this, this question's difficult for me, personally, because I, as I sat there and, and spent some time dwelling in it, I do think that it, it, is, it is difficult for me to sit there and be like, man, I've just got to work on not being selfish. Because the idea of selfishness or, or selflessness, I sometimes wonder, is it, is it as much of like a specific action? Um, that, or is it more of a mindset that leads to an action? And, and Kyle, I think like with your, with your like point of being like, hey, you're training your mind to speak a certain way. Um, you know, I, I wonder, so, so if you know me, I'm a very big ice hockey fan who just like, who is, is eerily obsessed with the National Hockey League. And we don't live in an NHL market, which is depressing. The good news is though, is that we don't have any games blacked out. So if you sit there and have ESPN Plus, every single game is available, available to you, which is glorious, unless your name is Amelia McGreevy um, on a Tuesday night uh, or a Monday night or a Wednesday after church or a Thursday night or a Friday night or a Saturday or a Sunday, um, <laughs> right? So th this, is the, uh, this is the reality that is, is joyful. Now, I could sit there on one of those days and the action could be I could walk up and say, Amelia, would you like to choose what we watch tonight? That would be a selfless thing. But if I'm sitting there the entire time we're doing what she wants to do and I'm just raging inside because I'm wondering what's happening in the Rangers-Canucks game, you know, like, like if I'm sitting there in my, in my heart mad that we're not doing something else, is that truly self selfless? Now, I've made the decision, but I wonder sometimes if, if this call to selflessness in the home and where we see it, and, and I'll acknowledge, like, my home right now is very different than what a lot of people get to experience because it's just uh, the two of us. It's a husband and a wife. And so it's... And it's, Ryman. And, and, and our dog, uh, which does take, you know, he needs played with when I get home from work. Um, but but this, this whole 
uh, it's, it's different probably for us than if we had several children or, or a child. Um, but I wonder sometimes if for me, it is instead of sitting there and just practicing this selfless thing of like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll do the dishes tonight or I'll you know, choose this tonight or whatever it is. I wonder if it's a mindset of everything I do has to be selfless. Like, like everything I do has to reflect who Jesus is in his life. And if I can have that heart, I think that instead of me just sitting there practicing doing selfless deeds, which is, you can be a selfless person and not be doing it with the humility of Christ. Um, you know, if I sit there and say, okay, I'm going to be somebody who is seeking the decision of Christ in everything in our home, then suddenly you maybe start to see some of that selflessness creep in. I think about my dad who, growing up, showed this so much to me. Um, he, would go, he, was, he was an accountant, and uh, as, as, um, as accountants in the room know, or if you're married to an accountant, or if you know accountants, uh, their lives are, are busy, specifically at certain points of the year. And I can remember those busy points of the year when dad would be leaving the house at 4.30 or 5, and he'd be getting home at 6.30 or 7. It's just the long, grueling days. And I can imagine that all he wanted to do in that moment was get home, eat dinner, and like sit down and brain clear. Mm-hmm. But because there was the, the mindset in, in his mind of our, our home is going to be one that serves a savior, our home is going to be one that serves Christ, it would be, all right, as a family, we're sitting down, we're having a conversation, we're having a spiritual discussion, we're, we're going to read a chapter of the Bible together. That's probably not what he longed for. But that selfless decision of, hey, Christ is the center of our home, led to a mindset that was, we are doing everything for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, I think what, what like you started out saying, this is a very difficult uh, way to start out tonight because I, I think even to act like, hey, y'all listen to what I got to say about selflessness. Uh, that just seems a little bit ridiculous because I know how selfish I can be at times. Uh, no way meaning uh, Jency. Uh, sorry. But I know how selfish I can be at times. And honestly, that's because I think selfishness is, is taught from like a very young age. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but when there's one piece of pizza left in the box, when there's one Texas Roadhouse roll left in the basket, when there's one decently sized chip at the Mexican restaurant and the rest of them are crumbles, you know, your selfishness really kicks in. And I think it's really trained, you know, who's going to get the piece of pizza? Who's going to get the roll? Who's going to get that last chip? And in my family, I was the youngest, and shockingly, the runt. So it was usually not me. And so that selfishness kicks in, I think, at a very young age. You see selfishness even in little children, and you grow up into that selfishness more and more as you, grow, as you get older. I'm just trying to be real with you tonight. I think selfishness is, is taught from a very young age, and so it's very difficult to think about selflessness just in general. But ultimately, to me, it, it comes down to, as far as you know, practically, it comes down to finding very, and Kyle, you were, you were, you were kind of uh, pointing towards this, it comes down to very intentional decisions, choices to deny myself. Uh, anywhere that there is uh, selfishness, there is a lack of self-denial. Uh, I am choosing to put what I want over what the other people around me want. I'm choosing to put what I want over what Jency needs or what I want over what Harper needs or whatever, whatever group I'm in. That's what selfishness derives from. And so if we're going to really combat selfishness in the home, I think we've really got to have a conversation about denying. What it takes to deny ourselves. And Kyle, you talked about it this morning. In order to be a disciple, we have to deny ourselves. We have to be people who make that conscious decision to deny ourselves or else this will always be a problem in the home. Uh, maybe it's, it's volunteering uh, to handle the household chores, even though you know you've been working all day or, or whatever, you, how tired you are, and say, hey, I'll handle the household chores this time. Or, hey, why don't, you know, Jency, sometimes she just needs to go have some me time and I have to take care of Harper. Sometimes I know she needs that. 
even though I'm tired and I'm, I need a break too, but sometimes I, I need to let her go have that time with some friends or, or by herself or whatever the case might be. And sometimes I don't give her enough of those times. But, and I know some of these examples seem small, but that's what denial, self-denial means. It's, it's, if, if, if you're not denying yourself in the small things, you're not going to deny yourself in the big things. And I think that's where it has to come down to in the home is, is denying yourself. And Ben, you, you brought out a point I wanted to mention. You know, is this, you know, denying self is awful. I mean, it hurts, right? It hurts to deny yourself. That's what it's supposed to feel like. Or else you're not denying yourself, right? That's the very nature of it. But when you make that decision to deny yourself... When you make that, uh, when you portray that lesson to your children, I think it's something that they'll never forget. I mean, you brought up how you saw that in your dad, and I think as we think about our homes here at Buford, I think if you instill a, a sense of selflessness in your home, that is going to be generational impact because they're going to remember how dad, how mom, they were always selfless. And when it comes time for them to be parents, they're going to be selfless too. Now, conversely, if selfishness is the tradition in your home, that's also going to be passed down. When it's their time to be parents, they're also going to be selfish. And so I think it's very important as we, as we launch into this year on Christ's likeness, as we launch into this year on the home, that we talk about selflessness in the home, and it starts with self-denial. I was gonna say, I think, imagine a family unit, and this is like, sometimes I like to just sit back and imagine the ideal, just sit there and be like, what would the ideal of a family who was choosing selflessness in the home look like? And and sometimes it gives you like this image, and and it's kind of a funny image, um, or, but also it's an exciting image. You know, imagine a household where every single individual in the house was trying to outdo everyone with being selfless like like that is every parent's dream if like if you have all your kids are like no we want to be the most selfless and like like your spouse is like I want to be the most selfless you know it's just like everyone's sitting here battling out who can be the most selfless I don't know if that suddenly means like you're selfish for wanting to be the most selfless selfless but I don't think so I think it's exciting right this whole this whole concept Say that five times fast of like no, I, yeah it will fall apart um, but I think that that is that image is is really the mark of a of a home full of Christ followers yeah and you could just just imagine the joy that would be pouring out of a home where people are choosing every single moment. It's never about me. It's always about the other people. Mm-hmm. It would just be a household that's just filled with people smiling and, and you know, I don't know why Santa laughing like a bowl full of jelly, like, came to mind. But, like, that's what I imagine. Like, it's just a household of people <laughs> laughing with so much joy um, with a selfless home. And so I, I love that image of an ideal selfless home. Let's mention one more practical thing that we would be amiss not to bring up, and that's just simply prayer. Yeah, I mean, great. think about the, the selflessness that can be conveyed and taught hmm. and trained through, through the communication that we'd have with God through prayer. Think about the, think about the model prayer that Jesus prayed in which he, he's praying for your kingdom come, your will be done. That's selflessness. And if we can pray that audibly for our children to hear us say, if, we can, if our children can witness us praying for others and the needs of others and, and, and surrendering ourselves to the will of God in whatever capacity that might be, that's life-changing. I'm afraid too many of us don't audibly pray where our, our family can hear it, that where our spouses can hear our words and our children can hear our words, and yet that is impactful. There's a reason prayers are recorded in Scripture and, and retained for us. There's a reason we know that Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. There's, there's a reason for that, because what people communicate in their prayers uh, is, a, is a, it teaches. And, and yeah. so another practical way to grow in selflessness is to pray with your family so that they, they hear your words. So in order to have the mind of Christ, I mean, this is what this passage is talking about. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In order to have that mind of Christ, it's obvious that we have to 
we have to humble ourselves. We have to lower ourselves in some capacity. But even further than that, if you look at the passage, he, he talks about uh, learning obedience. He talks about submission. Um, and these are things that our world really doesn't uh, gel with. Our world doesn't really think that there's a place for these things in everyday life. How does this image that is portrayed in Philippians 2 conflict with what the world says about the home? And what are some real everyday struggles that maybe you have in having the mind of Christ uh, in the home? Well, the world com considers submission and humility to be marks of weakness. Right. Um, if, you, if you are the one who submits, then you're the timid and the um, cowardly one. You're weak in some capacity. Uh, and, and we live in the dog-eat-dog -dog world. We, we live in a world where um, the mentality is if you're powerful, if you're strong, then you're always going to get your way. And the one who's willing to be selfless is the, is the one who's inferior in some capacity. And yet what's interesting is um, Jesus declares a blessing on the meek. And that's one of those words we don't use very often. Man, that would be a good church word. Uh, but we're done with that series. Blessed are the meek, because when we think of meekness, in fact, your New Testament will not use the word meek outside of the Beatitudes. It will change that word to gentle. And when we think about gentle, we think of somebody who's soft. We think of somebody who is, is weak and powerless. But the idea of meekness is associated with a yoke in the Bible, particularly um, in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, that sort of thing. The idea is, is uh, meekness is tied there to a yoke, and all a yoke is is this instrument that, that um, takes the strength of an animal and puts it under control. It's, it's, contr it's strength under control. And that's, that's what we're called to be. When we're, when we're called to be humble and submissive, we're being called to be meek, to be, to be, to be ones who are willing to let our strength be controlled by God, not by man. Man, the reason uh, submission is looked at as weakness in the kingdoms of the world is because man wants to be in control. But we understand that there's a greater kingdom, that there's a different citizenship, that there's someone else who's reigning, and so we bring that under control for him. So the world sees it as weakness, God sees it as a strength. We need to understand that mindset. Um, and the problem is, yeah, I struggle with it because I live in a world where everywhere around me, I've got people, I, I've got the world communicating that I need to take control. I, I'll, I'll have this guy tell me <laughs> at times that, hey, you've got to assert yourself more because that's the mentality that gets you things done. Uh, I, I remember one time we were uh, stuck in a parking lot. I couldn't back out. We had gone to lunch. And he's like, I got this, hopped out and just started pointing cars around and got me out. He's like, see, you got to be assertive. That's the reason we're here tonight. We would have never gotten out of that parking lot <laughs> if I didn't do that. Yeah, but we could have stayed at lunch longer. Anyway, my, my, what I'm saying is we live in a world that, and I'm not calling Ben worldly. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, we live in a world that's telling us that, hey, if you're not in the... You, in people's face, if you're not the one who's assertive, if you're not the one who's getting your way, then you're weak and you're wrong. And we've, we're getting that message everywhere around us, especially on social media now. That's, that is being communicated nonstop through social media to, to especially our young people. If you pay attention to it, if you're not getting sexually fulfilled, if you're not the macho one, I, I can't get over how many videos I see nowadays of fights breaking out in public. Like, that's a cool thing to video and film and post. Just people getting beat up and getting in fights. We live in a world that's telling us, don't be selfless, don't be humble, don't be weak. I'll pass it off to you guys. I've yeah, ranted I think, it long enough. I think, uh, 
for me, this is something that we do not talk enough about, especially when it comes to uh, submitting to one another, uh, especially when it comes to finding obedience to one another. Um, I think that is something that we reserve for children to parents. Children are to submit to parents. I think that's something historically in the church of Christ we've, we've reserved for women to submit to their husbands. But I think we really have missed the whole point of Ephesians chapter 5, which is just a page for me, uh, before Philippians chapter 2 where we are tonight. Before he starts talking about wives submitting, he says in verse 21 very clearly, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so I think that's something we don't talk about enough is the importance of how we are to submit to one another in the home. As a family, I'm supposed to submit to my wife the things that she needs me to submit to her. Uh, Harper's supposed to submit to us what he is supposed to submit to us, right? Submitting to one another in the fear of God is, is a more accurate biblical description than just the idea of, of a child submitting to a parent or a, a wife submitting to a husband. It's about us submitting to one another, finding obedience to one another, and that's exactly what we see with Jesus. And any time that that is out of balance or out of whack, I think that's where you're going to have some problems in the home uh, is when people quit submitting to one another uh, in the fear of God. And so sometimes uh, submitting to one another, uh, to be honest with you, is, is uh, easier than others, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's, it's a lot more difficult to choose to submit to what the others in the home need. But I love what Paul does here. He, he says, even Jesus became obedient. Even Jesus learned obedience. And so if it's something Jesus had to learn, if it's something Jesus had to become, then I know that I'm on the right track too because I can become that too. I can learn obedience and I can learn submission uh, just like Jesus did. Uh, but, but to be honest, the world doesn't believe in obedience anymore. The world doesn't believe in submission anymore. And I think that's where you have the problem. People try to outsmart what God knew would be best. God is the one that set forth the idea of submitting to one another. And I think we've tried to outsmart God. Every sitcom, every television show will, 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 has brainwashed us to believe, just like Kyle, what you're talking about, that submission and obedience, these are weak traits uh, that, that, that we're supposed to be uh, something different. Uh, but God set that, that plan in motion for a reason. Uh, and any time anytime you've ever seen a functioning home where you look at that home and you say, that is a home I want to emulate. I want to have a home. I want to be a husband like he is or a father like he is or a wife or a, or, or a mother, whatever the case might be. I can guarantee you there's some real submission, submitting to one another as a family that's going on in that home. And I think that's what it's going to take to have the mind of Christ in our homes here at Buford is learning that it's not about you submitting to me. It's about how can I submit to you, submit to you exactly what God calls me to submit to you. Absolutely. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add into this. These guys just, just crushed it. Uh, but I'm going to add this in there. I do think that we're in a place in the world, and, and we all have been around it, we've seen it, um, where one thing, like, like whatever is true to me is what's, go, what's going on in my life. And, and I think that that exists uh, in the home as well. Hey, if, if I am not happy, if I am not seeking everything I need, you know, that, that my truth, my happiness, man, if we get caught up in that in our homes, we are going to be at a place where our families are never going to be happy. Um, it, it gets to that place where, you know, if, I, if all I care about is my personal joy, there will be, there will be no Christ joy. Um, but, but I thought I would, I'd throw that in there. It's just like the world is like, they say, don't be weak, seek what what makes you feel strong. Seek yeah. what makes you feel happy. 
And, uh, and it's really the opposite. It's this, like you, 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 know, like you guys just mentioned, it's this idea of, of hey, I'm going to turn and submit. It is this idea of saying, look, when I step, set foot in my family, it, it is no longer about anything about me. It is, okay, what does my spouse, what does my child, what does, what does you know, the other person in my family, if I, if I do not have people in my current household, what does my extended family need? What do my friends need? What, you know, if I am a child, what do my parents need me to be uh, type thing? I do think that a lot of that type of thing is what can lead into um, this like, hey, my personal joy is only so important. It's really this idea of saying, I've got to choose others over myself, which goes back to what we've yeah. been talking about. But I, I thought that idea of like, I think my, the, the my truth movement um, in terms of like the only truth is the one that I believe in mm-hmm. is, has really negatively impact house, impacted households. So whenever you have one spouse or one family member that is just really trying uh, to, to practice this Christ-likeness in the home, right? Practicing humility, practicing uh, submission, practicing obedience, practicing uh, selflessness, all these things we've been talking about. Whenever one person in the family is really trying and the other person in the family is not trying at all, how do we keep from taking advantage of that person who's trying? And what I mean is, how do we, how do we keep from, from really getting into a very toxic home environment where Someone is really trying to be like Christ and you take advantage or you take them for granted or you become even more selfish because they're trying to be selfless. How do we keep from doing that? And is there a healthy way to communicate to a spouse or to a family member that they're really not being Christ-like in their interactions, in their daily life with you or with the family as a home? I think this is a really tough concept. I imagine that there are families in this room right now who would say that, yes, I feel like some of us are really seeking a life um, in Christ and the others of us don't care at all. You know, I imagine there's a little bit of that that exists uh, in, in families all across the room. I'll say this, it's very difficult to, if there are individuals who, who might be sitting in this room right now who have said, you know what, I don't care at all about Christianity, I'm just here so I don't have to deal with a fight later, um, that person's going to be hard to have a conversation with. Um, mm. I, I will say that for me, and, and maybe you guys have the same thought process, I kind of go to a little bit of the, the Matthew 18 approach here of, hey, I'm going to go and just have a conversation to start out. Um, now, obviously, I'm going to know my family better than anyone else uh, will know my family. And so I imagine if I go to somebody, let, I guess I, I'll have to use a personal example here. Let's just say I am being a terrible individual, uh, which I'm sure happens often um, without me realizing it, but I'm being mean or rude or I'm doing something I shouldn't or whatever it is. If Amelia were to come up to me and say, Ben, this is not okay. You've lost your way and you're not seeking the Lord. It takes a lot of arrogance for me to say, you know what, I don't care about seeking the Lord. I don't Mm. care what you have to say. Or to say, no, I think you're wrong. You know, that takes a lot of arrogance on my end. Um, And so once again, I think it just goes back to to me being willing to humble myself. Now, if I continue that arrogance, maybe Amelia needs to grab, you know, in, in our instance, and if we're to sit here and just like make it a really personal example, I work with, with these guys here. Well, they probably see what Amelia sees is, is obnoxious and, and is wrong. And so she could go up to one of them and say, hey, are you guys seeing this in the office? And they could say, yeah, we're seeing that. And they could come talk to me. And at some point, if I keep ignoring it, there has to be bigger steps taken. But that, that's the yeah. way I would approach it personally. So, you know, you can imagine. I think everybody imagines. Maybe you don't have to imagine because you know You've lived this, but you're trying to be humble. You're trying to submit. You're trying to, you know, find obedience. You're trying to find selflessness 
in the home and it's only received or only given back is, is just further selfishness. I mean, imagine how toxic uh, that relationship, that marital relationship or that, that home environment can get. However, we know that it does happen. And the, 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 the amazing thing about Jesus is it didn't matter how toxic the world around him got, it didn't change who he was. He continued to be humble. He continued to be submissive. He continued no matter what it was. But the, the fact of the matter is, the truth, you know, I'm not trying to say, well, you just keep on doing it. Because the reality is, we're not Jesus. We're not Christ. And I, I think that's, that's the reality we have to live with, is we're not going to be able to be exactly who Jesus was. If we were able, we wouldn't have needed him. We needed Jesus to come and give that example, and so he did. And so what I'm saying is, understand this. If you're the spouse or if you're the family member that is looking at Christ-likeness and saying, ha-ha, what, what, a, what, what, what a sucker. I can't believe that they are being so selfless. I can't believe they're being so humble. I can't believe they're being... All this, I'm just going to take advantage of that. I'm going to take that for granted or, or, or whatever the case might be. I'm going to be selfish back in response. Understand this, that your spouse and your family member, they're not Jesus. And their Christ-likeness probably will run out on you. That's just the reality of the, of the world we live in and the limitations that we have. That Christ-likeness only goes so far if you continue to respond with selfishness. So understand that first and foremost, but it can really get toxic in the family uh, when you respond with selfishness. And the second part for me, uh, how do we tell that spouse, hey, you're being, you're not being who you said you should, who, who you said you would be. You're not being who the world thinks you are, at least. How do you communicate that? Well, for me, number one, if you're taking notes, number one for me is to make sure that there's no plank in your own eye, right? If you're going to go and confront your spouse or confront your family member, understand, first of all, you know, do you have a plank in your own eye? Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, look at what Jesus says about, you know, talking about the speck in someone else's eye when you have a big old rod in your own eye, right? So make sure, number one, that there's no plank in your own eye. Number two, am I going to say this out of love and concern for my spouse or for my family member? Is this, is this coming from a place of love? And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm doing this out of love and then I'm going to smack you over the face. I'm talking about real love. I am worried about your soul. I'm worried about our marriage. I'm worried about our family environment. Is this coming out of love, number two? Number three, go back to verse three. Let nothing be done out of selfish ambition or conceit. Am I doing this for some type of selfish ambition I have, some type of, of conceit that I have in the home, that I'm better than my spouse or I'm better than my family members, and so they better treat me a certain way? Uh, and if the answer to these are the wrong answers, then you probably should just... Focus back on yourself, right? Focus back on how you can get better uh, in the home. And so those are some of my thoughts on, on, on that question. On, the, on this idea of a healthy way to communicate to your family member, let me first say, I don't know, because I fail at it all the time. i got to acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, this is probably one of the areas that I'm the worst at. But I've been reflecting on this, and I think there are, there are a couple of observations I want to make. First, if you want to be able to communicate to someone in your family that they need to be more Christ-like, you need to be able to receive that criticism yourself. Because I'm certain there's some point in your life that you needed that pointed out to you. And our tendency is when somebody comes to us and says, hey, you need to change this, you need to be better in this way, you're not being Christ-like, our number one response is, well, you... We get defensive and we turn it on them and we accuse them and we point out their flaws. If you want to be able to have that healthy conversation one day, then the next time it's pointed out that you haven't been Christ-like, 
take it. Receive it humbly. Don't get defensive. Don't turn it around on them. The best way for you to be able to communicate it down the road is for you to be receptive of it now. Um, And number two, one of the best ways you're going to be able to communicate that, according to Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, is simply to live Christ-like without having to say a word. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 3. Oh, there we go. 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, as he writes to wives in particular, but it's obviously applicable to husbands as well, he says, um, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectable, respectful and pure conduct. The idea is if you live Christ-like, at some point it's going to affect the other person. So if you'll be in pursuit of Christ-likeness, if you'll be in pursuit of this selflessness, your actions are going to speak louder to, than your words, and at some point it's going to have an impact. Peter goes so far as to say it can win souls. So, so focus on that long before you have the encounter. And when you do need to talk to somebody, remember Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Ben talked about true love in that, but also think it needs to be gentle in the way you handle it, not accusatory, not harsh, that sort of thing. So I throw those passages out there because, well, I fell here, and this yeah. is somewhat, this, these are the passages I needed to think about. You know, Christ-likeness, I think there's some of us that may think to themselves, this is an image I'm portraying. Well, what we're trying to get at uh, this month is that this isn't just an image we're portraying, but it's who we are. Uh, Christ, I, I am like Christ. I, down to the root of who I am, I am like Christ. That's what we're shooting for. That's what we're aiming for uh, at the Buford Church Christ with our homes and our families. Uh, and I think Christians everywhere should, should, should strive for that. But... What message does it send our home? What message does it send our family members when they're able to see Christ-likeness everywhere else except for in the home? What message does it send our children? What message does it send our, our spouses when they look at you at church or they look at you at work or they look at you everywhere else and they see this great image of Jesus But when we come home and we let our hair down, their very different image is seen. What does that do to our families is the question. And for me, and I think we'll all kind of have the same thought here, it it completely invalidates the rest of the Christ-likeness, right? It it completely invalidates all the other good that you're doing because you're not doing it in the place where it matters most, in the home. And I think that's a real challenge for us because our home is a a safe place where we can really be ourselves and we can really you know just let it rip so to speak but that's a problem especially when it comes to training young people training our children in the way that they should go it completely invalidates all the good that you do elsewhere because if you're not winning your family members to Christ it doesn't matter how many in the world you win You can win all the world, but if you don't win your family, it would have been for nothing. Uh, You know, we we say that we we hear the phrase all the time, like, and the Bible says, you can't mock God. You can't fool God. But the same is true with our families. You can't fool your family. You can act like a Christian here. You can act like a Christian everywhere else, but they know who you really are at home, and you can't fool your family members. Uh, The the truth of the matter is, if we're not living out Christ-likeness, in our homes, then we're teaching our homes it's okay to be hypocritical. Hey, it's okay to, to, to be hypocritical uh, when, once you grow up. We're teaching them that uh, the only thing that matters in this life is making a good appearance, putting on a good show, instead of actually being who we are saying we are. And there's only two ways that that winds ending up. There's only two ways 
that a home that is putting across a facade of Christ-likeness, there's only two ways that that ends up. Number one, either that, hypo- that hypocrisy is passed on to the next generation and you have a, a, another generation of fake Christians, or number two, the first moment that they get a chance to make their own decisions and decide whether they're going to continue being in the church or continue believing in God or continue believing in Christ, the first chance that they get, they're going to choose to give up on all of it because they realized it was a big show. My family put on a big show, and I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'd rather just go off and do whatever I want. And that's the reality of this situation. We can come to church, and we can look good. We can dress up. We can look all awesome and portray this great image. But if we're not doing it in our homes, and if our kids know this isn't the real deal, you should hear what he sounds like at home. You should hear what she, how she talks to my dad at home. You should hear whatever. You should see what we do at home. You're going to raise a generation of kids who don't really believe in Jesus because you, because I, perhaps don't really believe what we portray sometimes. Three more thoughts on that? Yeah. I think we all kind of have the same thought on that. Now, to end the discussion uh, with question number five, what are some other verses, scriptures, texts, or passages that can help us think about Christ-likeness, can help us implement Christ-likeness in our homes? I'll, I'll get started. So once again, my, my situation's kind of unique in my life experience. Uh, because, but, but Matthew 5, it, you mentioned this earlier, is kind of where I go. And I, I want to read... I want to read this, and this is a little bit technical, but this has stood out to me for a lot of years. Verse 28 and 29 of Matthew 5 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. And and notice what it's going to bring out in verse 29 here. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, I I love this because it it goes on, um, and this is also coming off the context of saying, hey, love everyone around you, okay? So this is talking about our entire families in a lot of ways. This is something that stands out to me, that in verse 29, the word cherish has, like it says, nourishes and cherishes it. Talking about myself, this is how I'm to treat other people. That word cherish is, is a Greek word that means to brood, which is that idea of a bird sitting on a nest with their eggs. And even through storms and trials and tribulations and misery and pain and, and whatever is going to come at that nest, that bird is going to sit there and protect those eggs. Um, that's the context there. Is in that in that passage, and so for me, as I sit here and think, okay, in my home, as I'm sitting here looking at my family, what is it going to look like for me to uh, to show Christ-likeness in the home? And this is also in a passage that's talking about being Christ-like. There's this idea of me saying, if I am a follower of Jesus inside the home, if I'm going to live like Jesus inside the home, I am going to treat my family in a way that nourishes and cherishes. And no matter what comes our way, I'm going to choose to be an individual who's going to show that I will be there for them. And I don't care what's coming at me. I am not the focus. I am trying to protect them and help them grow into, uh, into spiritual people until the day they die. And so to me, that one, I know that's kind of like a technical, like, here's a little meaning of a word. But that's kind of, that, that to me changes that meaning and, and really impacts the way I think about Christ-likeness in the home. Uh, just write, down, write this down. First Peter chapter th- um, 3, verses 1 through 7. Go read that on your own time. Check it out. There are instructions to husbands and wives there. And it's powerful because what Peter writes about is the spiritual implications of wives living in an honorable way with their husbands and husbands honoring their wives. Because it indicates that uh, the, the, the wife's conduct can lead to the salvation of the husband, and the husband's honoring of his wife prevents his prayers from being unheard. Mm. So there's spiritual implications for your home relationships. And go read that, con- contemplate it, and consider the impact of it. Yeah, really quick for me, uh, John chapter 13 and verse 15, 
especially, but John chapter 13, you're going to see Jesus washing his apostles' feet. And at the end of that example that he gave, he says in John 13, 15, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And when it comes to, you know, ministry, when it comes to the people that we interact with a lot, we think about, you know, washing the feet of, of our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and the, the people out in the world. But that also applies to people in your own home, to your spouse, to your children, um, and thus, at the end, he says, I've given you this example to follow. And lastly, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, John says, He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. What a challenge this week and this month as we start this year, 2024, focusing in on the home, uh, Christ-likeness in the home this month. Uh, we've really enjoyed thinking about these questions. If, if, if there's something that you have a question about or you're struggling uh, with Christ-likeness in your home, you're struggling to have the humility, have the submission and the obedience and the selflessness, and you want to talk to somebody about that, uh, we would love to talk to you. We're not going to have a song of invitation, but the invitation is always open uh, for anyone that wants further uh, discussion or further study. If someone wants to obey the gospel, we'd love to study with you tonight. Uh, with that, we're going to be closed in a word of prayer. Kyle, would you lead us in a prayer? God, we thank you for our opportunity to study your word. And may, Lord, we be blessed by examining the, and, and applying what it means to be like your son. And help us, Lord, to be better at that. Give us the wisdom we need and the patience we need. And, and help us to develop the characteristics your son exhibited. Help us to be more Christ-like so that we impact our families positively. And Lord, whether we're an individual or a large family unit, may we put Christ first in our home. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for sending him to die for us. And it is through his name we pray. Amen. Amen.